Hey baddies, welcome to a very special episode of Bad Witch Podcast. I'm so sorry, I'm laughing, I always laugh during the intro, but I'm especially laughing because every time I say very special episode, I think of all those after school specials we had to watch as kids, which were so traumatizing. Like, you're just trying to get home and enjoy, you know, your grilled cheese sandwich or your PB&J or whatever. And there's just something wild on television where your favorite character is going to end up in a horrible situation because it was up to TV to teach us lessons back then. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, this is going to be a very special episode of Bad Witch Podcast, the podcast where we are going to get our witch shit together one spell at a time. Just one. You know, it doesn't have to be a big thing. You don't have to rush. We have plenty of time together. But yeah, what's going to make this episode so special is that this is the leak. It's going to happen. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Oh, she's going to talk about familiars. Oh, she's, this is the week where she's just going to give us spell after spell after spell, and we're going to write them all down, and our homework's going to be to do them. Or maybe you're thinking this is the week that I finally snapped, and I'm going to just tell you the entire plot of the craft <laughs> front to back. Not yet. It's, it's coming. I will eventually do that. I know I can't stop myself from doing it, but that's not this episode. What makes this episode so special is that we are going to talk about religion. Yay! <laughs> okay, come back. Don't don't leave. Don't unsubscribe. T listen, just stick with me because we are going to make this talk as inclusive and full of love and non-judgy and non-preachy as possible because this is not a religious podcast. I have said that a bunch of times. I will keep saying it as much as I need to. This is not a religious podcast period. This is not a Wiccan podcast, period. Um, this is just a bunch of people that happen to be witches getting together to, you know, do witch things. In fact, when I was doing the very first episode, I wasn't sure how to categorize this podcast. I was like, oh, shh. So it's this thing where you like have to choose these preset categories, obviously. And I was like, okay, I should put spirituality, but I felt weird about it because when I looked at the spirituality podcasts that were on offer, it was the Bible and scriptures to go. I, I'm making these names up. I mean, I didn't make up the Bible. That's a real thing. But it was, you know, very much your idea of what you would find if you went under spirituality. And the other option that kind of fit was comedy. But then my thought was, is that gross to be like, I'm so funny. I'm definitely going to say this is a comedy podcast. <laughs> I don't know. It felt weird too, but I went with that because I never wanted to give the impression that this is a religious thing. Like it takes all kinds and we welcome all kinds and you don't have to subscribe to any religion to be here. You just have to be a good person and a bad witch. <laughs> so yeah, I've always, and also I've just kind of shied away. There's been a few, few little times where I've kind of talked about religion a little bit, um, especially when I've referenced voodoo, a legitimate religion, or referenced uh, Wicca, a legitimate religion also. But I have been very hesitant to talk about it because I know it's a hot button thing. I know that no matter what I say, someone may feel some kind of way about it. But I think it's important to talk about because there's so many people, so many witches, myself included, that really hit a wall with their practice because they feel a sense of guilt and they feel a sense of wrongdoing and they feel a sense of of almost fear or anxiety that they're doing something just awful. And it's really easy to feel that way when 
you have grown up with religion in your life. I mean, a lot of religions are kind of fear-based and kind of want you to feel guilty to get you to act right. But then you don't necessarily act right. You just act right and then feel bad about it later, you know? But I really do think it's an important conversation to have because so many of us kind of carry these not great feelings about it. Like we carry some internal guilt and, and hurt to an extent and fear and anxiety, like I mentioned. And, you know, you don't want to carry any of that negativity inside because it does start to color all the things that you're doing and color your witchcraft too. And disclaimers, here are some disclaimers. Ready? <laughs> Number one, I am not bashing any religion. I, it's not my place. Done. It's just not my place. Uh, number two, I am not bashing you if you don't have a religion. If you don't believe in God, that's not my business. If you don't know what you believe and don't believe, that's not my business. If you do believe in God, that's not my business. Your business is your business. I'm just going to be talking about from my perspective, which is disclaimer number three. I can only talk about it from being Catholic because that's all I know. There was a like brief time in my life, I considered um, converting to Judaism. I've always felt really, really connected to it. Um, but I don't know. I felt like I could still, I, I strongly believe in a past life that I was Jewish. And that's why I've always had um, a real fascination with it and also a real kind of emotional tie to Judaism in a lot of ways that we definitely don't have time to go into. We have a lot to cover, obviously. Um, so there was a time where I considered conversion. So I, you know, I know a little bit, but what, how old am I? 32. So I did a solid 27 years in the Catholic church. I'm making it sound like I was in jail. I was in prison. No, uh, I've just been watching Orange is the New Black. So that's what my frame of mind is right now. But yeah, I mean, I was confirmed. I did reconciliation, first communion, all that stuff. So when I'm talking about this little section, I will be talking about Catholicism. I know that a lot of you have reached out to me and maybe you haven't yet, but this is your situation too. And you grew up Catholic as well. And that, you know, those, that Catholic witch thing, it lines up a lot. It really does. So that was disclaimer one, two, three. And number four is that this is just me talking, you know, just like every episode of this podcast. It doesn't mean I'm right. It doesn't mean you're wrong. It doesn't mean you're right. It doesn't mean I'm wrong. We're just talking. And so this is the gospel according to Mickey, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so yeah, I'm a little, I have had hesitation about talking about this. I'm not nervous to talk about it. I am, however, hoping that it is received in the life that it is being offered, which is from love and from positivity and from hoping to kind of take away people's anxieties and and worries about it to an extent. I want everyone to be like, okay, whew, I'm not a bad person. I'm not a sinner. I'm not, I'm not, you know, this horrible thing that maybe a book has said that I am or other people have said that I am. And you know what? It's not up to me to even make that determination, right? Depending on what you do believe. But I know that there are a lot of good people in the world who don't believe in God. And I know there are a lot of good people in the world that consider themselves witches and are witches. And there are a lot of good people in the world who don't know what they believe. And there's a lot of people in the world, good people in the world that do believe in God. And I don't see why we should have to try to find differences with each other when we could all kind of maybe come to the same place and find the things that work for all of us. I think there's just too much of trying to... So again, this is going to be a conversation about religion, kind of Catholicism and witchcraft. And I think that 
instead of looking at them as two things that are put into place that will negate each other or disprove each other, why can't we look under them under the same umbrellas and look at the similarities and look at how they really kind of feed and intertwine with each other because they really, really do. So yeah. Remember how I was like, oh, is it gross to be like, I'm really funny. This is a comedy podcast. I am a little bit like, oh, I'm a genius about religion. Let me preach about it. No, not preaching, just talking. And it's not because I want to convert you. It's not because I want you to believe the things that I believe. It's not because I want to change you in any way. It's just that if you also find yourself in the position where you were raised Catholic specifically, hey, I'm talking to y'all. How you doing? Are you stressed? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you feel guilty right now? Yeah, me too. Um, I'm talking to you. Because just personal experience, I know what it's like. I, I know what it's like. You know, two things that are really sticking out in my mind is um, I, re I was in the hate. I hate when I say I remember because it makes it sound like I'm about to say when I was a kid, we walked up the mountain snow 10 miles to get to school. Like I'm 32. I can calm down. I'm not that old. But um, two things that really stick out to me when I was thinking about wanting to talk about this and, you know, doing this episode. And yeah, our topic actually relates to it. Because of course it does, because that is how the universe works. Everything just syncs up all the time. All these messages I was getting, especially people that, you know, were raised Catholic that wanted me to talk about this. It doesn't at all just always fall together. But anyway, the two instances that really stick out in my mind were one being in the Harry Potter generation. I was in fifth grade, I believe, when the first Harry Potter book came out. Harry Potter heads. Disclaimer number six, five, six. Don't drag me. I don't, I'm not that very well versed in Harry Potter at all. I've seen all the movies. I read the last book. That's all I got. I, I just, I just wasn't that into it. And I didn't even realize that like there were witches in the book. So maybe I really need to go back and examine that. But I remember being in fifth grade and people, there were parents that I, I, I can't remember like my teacher wanted us to maybe read the book in school or was giving us like bonus points if we had read the book or wanted to, you know, do something like that. And I remember, again, disclaimer, being from the deep South, there were parents that were enraged about it. They were like, my kid will not be reading about witches and wizards. That is of the devil. That is, we believe in God in this house. We are Christian. What's that? The God warrior woman <laughs> from trading spouses. Listen, I'm going to put up so many memes with this episode. You're going to be so sick of me. But, you know, then she screams something like, this is the house of the Lord or something like that. But I just remember so many parents. It was kind of 50-50. And I don't, do y'all remember that from school? There were always parents who were like, yeah, that sounds cool. Teacher, whatever you need. You need an extra roll of uh, paper towels for the classroom. We're here. And there was always one or two parents that no, the teacher could just be like, hey, we're going to have class outside. And they would come and be like, well, my child's hate sweating so no one can go outside. You know, there's always those one or two people that ruins it for everyone. And I just remember they were absolutely horrified. And I come from a household of teachers. I come from a whole family of teachers where they would never dream to say, oh no, child, you cannot have access to that book. N never. But censorship is big in the South. So <laughs> whatever the assignment was, and I really think it was like a fun bonus thing because Harry Potter was a sensation. It wasn't just, I mean, it is a sensation. It wasn't just that, you know, people, 
it was just something in the passing moment. I mean, it was selling like hotcakes and it was popular. And so I'm sure my poor, wonderful teacher wasn't like, yes, the time is now. I will convert all of these little succulent children. Succulent? That sounds weird. I was just thinking, <laughs> it's like the myth of witches wanting to eat children. Something that also is part of our persecution, which we will be covering, if I remember. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure my teacher wasn't like, yes, the time is nigh. I'm going to introduce all the children to wizardry and witchcraft and finally convert them. Like, no. It was a popular book. It was something that was really fun. It was something aimed towards kids and, you know, teenagers and, you know, adults too. But it was something that we could digest and we could have. And it wasn't just reading Old Yeller. You would rather me read a book about a beautiful golden retriever being shot? Oh, sorry, spoilers? It came out in like 19... 49, so don't drag me. But you'd rather read me, let me read that. And what else do we read in fifth grade? Uh, Where the Red Fern Grows. So let's just get all of our dog deaths out of the way. What the hell? So I can read about something that is legitimately traumatizing, but I can't read about a fantasy world because let's kind of, you know, let's kind of look at it. If if you do not believe in witches, if you think that it is something that is purely make-believe, and if I, when I tell people I'm a witch, sometimes people are like, what? Like, that's a made-up thing. You don't, okay, you don't have to believe it. So at best, it was just a fantasy book that we had access to because it was extremely popular and it was just coming out and it was what everyone was reading anyway. And these few parents, because of their religious beliefs, were like, absolutely not. You will not introduce my child to that. And that demand kind of led to, you won't introduce any of these children to that. My parents didn't have a problem with it. Most 90% of the parents didn't have a problem with it because it's a book. Now, I happen to be a witch. And fifth grade was also the year that I uh, started a coven because the first time I saw the craft and uh, got in trouble, <laughs> which I've told this story before, but I got in trouble for not letting everyone be in my coven. But covens only, I mean, they don't. But, you know, we only needed four members because we were just dealing with the four classical elements. <laughs> But I also, because, you know, thinking about the Harry Potter thing too, fifth grade was a big year. I also remember that when, because I guess when you're 10 and 11, you have no personal business. And we all started like dressing in black and like wearing the black nail polish and drinking blood, quote unquote, it's like tomato juice or whatever. Um, but when you start doing that, you know, the parents hear about that too. And I remember my, me and my three friends are in the coven, got in trouble because we were uh, facilitate, not facilitating. What's the right word? We were promoting witchcraft. So those same parents that had a problem with us reading Harry Potter were the same parents <laughs> that were personally mad at me and my three friends, not because we were excluding their kids, not because we were, you know, kind of quote unquote popular and, and weren't including everyone in what we were doing. It's because we were promoting witchcraft. <laughs> so that's the kind of stuff that, we're up against all the time. It's that you we couldn't... I never realized I was so impassioned about Harry Potter, to be honest. But the fact that you won't let children have access to literature, you know how hard it is to get kids to read, especially now with, you know, iPads and iPhones and games that they'd rather be playing in video games. Why would you deny them that, that opportunity and that right, honestly, to read those books? So I remember, number one, that was the first time that I was like, oh... People really have opinions about witches and magic, and it is these religious people that have a problem with it. So now we don't get to do this really fun thing. Because for us, we weren't like, yes, teach me all about the wizardry. It was, I want to cast spells. Well, some of us, you know, because I started that coven. 
But most of us were like, oh, Harry Potter is a really fun, cool book, and it has big print, and we can digest it, and no dog dies, you know? So that was instant, instance number one, one and a half I was thinking of. And number two, when I really started getting back into my practice and, you know, coming into my own as a witch, I was in New York with a friend. Well, she lived in New York, but I took her to, oh my gosh, it's called Enchantments, maybe. Don't quote me on that, but it's a really famous store in the village. If you are a New York witch or you know the story that I'm trying to talk about, drag me. This is the time you can drag me because I can't remember the name of it, but I believe it's called Enchantments and you should absolutely go. They have amazing um, products. They have really great handles and they also have oil based on your horoscope. So I would always, <laughs> I was supposed to buy Pisces oil, but I was always, I would always get uh, Scorpio oil because I was having a hot girl summer in New York before it was cool. But anyway, <laughs> So I took her down there, um, you know, and again, I'm never in a place where I'm trying to make someone believe what I believe or make someone be what I am. I just wanted to go and she was with me. So I was like, let's go check it out. And she was curious. I think so many people carry curiosity about it. But again, maybe because of the religion they were raised or not even the religion they were raised, but the way that religion plays so much, so heavily in our society, especially as Americans, especially if you're raised in the South. You can't escape certain judgments and certain guilts that come out of it because it surrounds you all the time, just like the Harry Potter thing. We weren't allowed to read it because someone else had a problem with it, and it didn't just take it away from their kids. It took it away from all of us. That judgment was there. Anyway, I took her to the store, and I don't know. We got some candles, and we were walking out, and she goes, so if you're a witch, and I was like, yeah, that's me, where does God fit into it? And I kind of looked at her, and I don't know if I had ever really thought about it before because as I say and kind of one of the major themes of this podcast is again this isn't a religious podcast this isn't something that we sought out to believe in or sought out to practice it's not you know like choosing to become Catholic or choosing to become um, Baptist or choosing to become Jewish or whatever you whatever it's that I am a witch we are witches we were born this thing that's I'm a witch as I am a woman, as I am black. That's what I always like to say. Like these are, well, I don't want to say unchangeable things about me because, you know, not everyone identifies with the gender that they were born, but I am cisgender. So for me, being a woman is an unchangeable thing. For me, being black is, well, your race is an unchangeable thing. Let's not get into the Rachel Dolezal all of it all. But to me, being a witch is an unchangeable thing. It's not something I've chosen to believe. It is not something I've chosen to follow. It is my identity. It is who I am. So she hits me with this question and it was kind of the first time I had to reconcile both head on and not just been like, yeah, I was raised Catholic and I am Catholic, I guess, but also like I'm a witch, but I'm just kind of a witch like as a person, whatever. <laughs> it's the first time I really had to explain it to another person, which is, <laughs> which no pun intended, that's not even a pun. Um, but that's when I find for us, it does become a problem, it, not even a problem, but it's something that we do feel that guilt start to creep in or that nervousness start to creep in or that anxiety or that fear. It's not something that we're going to fake. Well, that's not true. It's something that we will feel with ourselves, but it's so much easier to push it down with yourself when something also feels natural to you. But it's when we interact with other people, friends, boyfriends, family members, random strangers, whoever it may be, that will be the ones that will hold the mirror up and be like, well, how can you be both? 
how will, how do you do both? You know, where does God come in? Like she, like she asked me, how can you be Catholic and be a witch? How can, don't these things negate each other? Okay. Well, here, here comes Mickey's true gospel according to Mickey, Mickey spiel for me. No, they don't. And I can say that because I'm a witch and I believe in God and I still consider myself a Catholic. So, I mean, I'm all those things and I'm sitting here. So I think it can't be that wrong. Right. Um, I, so yeah, I believe in God. I wear a cross a lot of the time. I pray, you know, I, just as I do my candle work, my spell work, which, you know, if you really are looking at certain sacred scriptures and whatnot, a lot of the, the language and the way it's written is not that different from things you're going to find in a, a good old fashioned spell book. You know, there's not a lot of difference between the candles that I light in my witchcraft practice and the candles that we light in church. There's not a lot of difference between wearing a cross as a symbol of my Catholicism and using crosses and, you know, just sacred symbols and sacred geometry in my practice. There's so much overlap that I just don't, I just, for me, for my brain, it doesn't make sense that they negate each other and they disprove each other and they can't exist together. I think they absolutely exist together and they absolutely exist for, together for me. Truly, the only people on earth who love incense more than witches are Catholics. <laughs> like that is our jam. We love it. Just as we have oils in our mass, we have, I mean, oh my gosh, we literally uh, go through the aisles with, okay, see, I haven't been to church in a long time, <laughs> but the decanter, is that a wine thing? I don't know. But you know, there's this thing that the priests or whomever will, whomever, uh, altar people will swing back and forth and it literally lets out like a sweet smoke, like smudging you know there's just so much overlap there's so much feed like I said it's intertwined and just I just don't think they negate each other and I don't think they disprove each other and I don't think they exist in different realms because I'm right here and I am a culmination of all of these things I'm a witch I'm a catholic I'm someone that happens to believe in god and I'm right here and I'm living and I'm breathing and I'm practicing and so it can't all be wrong and can't all like work against each other because then there wouldn't be a bunch of us that all have kind of this similar experience. Now, let me say this disclaimer number 18. I'm going to call this episode disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. <laughs> um, no, I think it's number seven. I'm not saying that you have to believe in God to be a witch. I'm not saying that you have to think your powers come from God, that you have to be energized by religion in any way that you have to subscribe to any religion, be raised a certain religion. No, I don't. I think that being a witch is about being an individual point blank period. And that's just it. You don't, you know, you don't have to fit into it. We've talked about this a hundred times and we will talk about it till the day I just snap and recap the crap for you instead. But we're bad witches because there's no perfect way to be a witch. I can just talk about what works for me and I can talk about how I feel and what I believe. And that works for Mickey. And if you relate to it, awesome. And if you don't, awesome, because you're still a good, bad witch in my book. So I wanted to read this thing that I wrote to um, one of our coven members, one of one of our just delightful, delicious coven members who um, I say, you know, write to me, they posted in the Facebook group. I said, write to me personally, if you would feel more comfortable with that. Cause again, the religion thing is hard to talk about, right? Um, and so I want to read what my response was to them. I'm going to keep their, my, their message private. Cause that's why we did it in private, but I'm going to read my message in response because, um, you know, I have, I have the gift of the gab, I think, <laughs> but I, when I, I'm better with writing than I am with talking pause for a shock. 
But yeah, when I can actually sit down and, and write out what I want to say, I don't have the brain working faster than the mouth, mouth working faster than the brain. Whatever is happening here, I don't have that as much. So uh, your girl gets real eloquent, basically. So I want to read what I wrote because it's kind of the most succinct way that I can put it all out there. And we don't have to go on and on and on because I know you're not here to talk about religion for an hour and a half straight. And we have a whole topic to get to. For reference, the person's question was about feeling that kind of guilt and that shame and that judgment from an outside source and wondering if they are unholy, if they are someone full of sin. And you know, when I say the word sin, it's so, it's such a loaded word with a correlation to religion, obviously, but it's just that feeling of not even going against, you know, God or religion or the Bible of all that stuff, but it's that feeling of, am I a bad person? Am I evil? You know, am I a negative force? Do I have low, am I a low vibrational ass person? All of that stuff. And that just doesn't feel good. And I know also, aside from the fact that it doesn't feel good to be like, am I evil? Am I, am I wrong? Was I made wrong? Did I arrive on this earth wrong? Like all that feels so terrible. But there's also a lot of people that legitimately think if they are a sinner, they will go to hell. They, there is heaven and there is hell. And that is what they have been taught to believe. That's what they grew up with. That is what we get from the media and all these outside sources. I mean, there's a lot of religious stuff just in subtext and clear cut also everywhere around us all the time. And so there are people that legitimately have a fear of if I, I, I'm a witch and I know that I feel this way and I was born this way. Every time I say that, I think I need to like give $5 to Lady Gaga or Lady Gaga, as I like to say. Um, anyway, but they really think I'm going to end up in eternal damnation. Like, li like literally not that I am just a sinner and seen as evil by some people, but I will literally spend all of eternity in this molten place being tortured forever and ever and always like that's a legitimate fear that people actually have and you know when so it's kind of just important to keep in mind when we're talking about religion and witchcraft gosh I really hope I'm not trying to this it doesn't come off as like this is a definitive answer because it's so not but when we're having this conversation about both it's not just like I don't want people to judge me or to look at me look down on me or look at me in a bad light but it's like I'm worried about my immortal soul, you know, some people really do, they keep that with them. And they're worried about what's going to happen after this. And you know, none of us have a definite answer. But it's something that is definitely rolled into your head if you, you know, grew up Catholic, like I did. So anyway, this is what I wrote in response to that. It's again, for the 100th time, Mickey's thoughts and Mickey's only and if you are also a Catholic, former Catholic following Catholic witch, it might, or just, you know, are religious in some sense, or raised religious in some sense, it might resonate with you. Disclaimer, number 37. <laughs> I am going to say God a lot in this because that's what we're talking about. So I just don't want to be like throwing it out there, throwing it out there, throwing it out there. This may be the only section in the entire religion special episode, the religion spectacular, that uh, may feel, seem a little preachy. I'm just reading how I see things. This is my perspective. I'm in no way, again, trying to convert or do anything. I'm just putting it out there. Okay, so I said, hey. So this, like everything I say, is just life according to Mickey. Ha ha. <laughs> so to me, I think everything falls under God, and that includes science. There is a reference to science and what we were talking about. Um, you know, a lot of people 
there's all these debates about science versus religion and and they and science is held up a lot of the time to disprove religion, which I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm just saying for me, I have a different perspective on it. Um, but also, as I've said in the past, this is a very pro-science podcast. I love vaccines. I love preventative medicine. I love medicine. I love uh, going to therapy. Uh, all those things. I don't think there's anything wrong. What help you need, you seek out. Absolutely. Okay, so where was I? Uh, I never really understood why it was science or God. To me, science is proof of God's existence and divinity. When I say that, I these are just like examples that I that I think about when I'm thinking about these things, which is apparently always um, like when I see a sunset. Where I'm out in the natural world, but to me, I'm like, wow, this is a really beautiful moment, and this is something bigger than me. Or when I even think about like the processes of the human body and like our circulatory system and the shit our kidneys do. I'm like, damn, that is, that is a tight situation. (laughs) Like, that's awesome. And I just think it has to, I think it comes from something bigger than us. I think it's part of a bigger plan, whether you want to attribute it to the universe, to nature, to a God, to a goddess, anything. I just, it's something that makes me realize that I'm so much more than what I think I am. I'm so much more than just like this one person. I am like this amazing system that runs, like my heart just beats. That's wild. That's so wild to me. Where like the sun just sets and then it comes back and there's, I don't know. I just, I just think nature is bomb even though I complain about it every week, <laughs> basically. Um, so if I'm using elements of God's earth and working with and honoring God's universe, it all fun- falls under the same umbrella. We feel guilt because we are presented this one strict, I use Christian in this example, um, version of God and I don't really follow the Bible because it was written and changed by man. I believe that God is love ultimately, not judgment or fear or pain. I felt that guilt for a long time, referring to like the Catholic guilt about like, am I a sinner? Am I a bad person? Am I evil? You know, X, Y, Z. But basically Catholicism is built on guilt. (laughs) So many religions are, they try to scare you into quote unquote being good, but I think they turn so many people away. That's the thing. I, I know a lot of people that even just find the imagery of the church to be very frightening. I remember like even when I was a kid and I would see depictions of the crucifixion, I'd be like, I'm scared. This is intense for a five-year-old. And you know, if you're told all the time, you're a sinner, you have to repent, you have to do good because you aren't good. You came here and you, you came here with a sin, like a sweet little baby angel got here with sin and you have to wash it away. Like, well, damn, I'm already starting off on a bad foot. You know, <laughs> like I'm just trying to be a good person and went out here. So I'm going to lose my place a hundred times. Um, only I know my connection to God. And I believe that my magic or powers, whatever you want to call it comes from God. If we are present in God and God is present in us, something that we are definitely taught in the church. Um, then why wouldn't some of us be healers and magic workers and prophets, you know? Just my two cents, long story short, is that it's religion that makes us feel shame, not God. God wants us to do good and help each other and love each other, and that's all present in witchcraft. You also kind of have to look at the hatred of women throughout history, which, (laughs) here's my feminism spiel, which doesn't necessarily mean a magical being in, like, the way that we use it, uh, but it means, like, a woman with sin in the way that it's used. So what I was saying is that it's not so much that people are like, literally, she's a witch, burn the witch, you know, like in Monty Python. It's that people got a problem with women, with what women do, no matter what we do. We have to cover up. We can't wear our hair too long because it's too sexy and distracting. We can't cut our hair too short because then we look too masculine. We aren't sexy enough. 
we we just can't do anything right. You know, there there's just a history of persecution against women, just as there's a history of persecution against witches. And that, that's, they're coming for us. And that has to me and what I've kind of, what I believe is that, what I've kind of figured out is that people have a problem with women and historically so. And so, yeah, of course, there's going to be this conception of this old evil crone that's setting out to hurt young, healthy, vibrant, vital men and children, especially. But I mean, are we, are, are we doing a lot of good? I haven't, you know, tried to eat a child this year. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, uh, it's not about witches. It's about judging and hurting women. So yeah, I take the Bible with a grain of salt, but if God is limitless, then God can encompass all things from angels to goddesses to saints to crystals to plants, etc., etc. I'm not going to let the judgments of man hurt me. So yeah, that is what I believe in a nutshell. It's certainly not for everyone. Uh, I am kind of in that part speaking to the people that are like me and grew up with a religion, usually Catholicism, and believe in God and also are a witch. And like, how can we reconcile all three? Well, that's, that's what works for me. And that's how my brain has just processed it. And that's how I receive it. Um, again, if you don't believe in God, cool. If you don't know what you believe in, cool. If you believe in something totally different and abstract, awesome. That's your business. And that doesn't make you any less of a witch than I am. It absolutely doesn't. You are doing you and you're doing great. And I'm proud of you no matter what. So <laughs> 33 minutes later, that is most of my religion talk. Uh, the one thing I do want to highlight is that to me, I mean, it's, it's so hard to even talk about what I feel about everything because I don't even know 100%. I just know what feels right. And I know the moving pieces that I feel that are at work. Um, I, I guess the number one thing is for me, I feel like God, and when I'm saying God, I don't want y'all to think it's like this very strict, like Christian idea of God, Lord, and say like that. It's just a feeling for me. It's an energy for me. It's like the goddesses for me. You know, I, I talk to God and I talk to the goddesses and I talk to the angels and the saints and I talk to my crystals and I kind of, See it all flowing in a circle. So that's honestly the best way I can describe it. And uh, the part about women being persecuted and the word witch. You know, I, I want to do this whole like witchery history thing where we just deep dive that too, but it would honestly be too much for one episode. But I don't think that our idea of witch that we have now is the same thing that is historically been seen as a witch. We, I mean, hell, being a witch is cool now. <laughs> you can go to Urban Outfitters and buy witch kits. You can, there are witch subscription services. Like it is very in vogue and trendy to be a witch. And I think that's because now it's more about embracing your natural magic and your power and, you know, facing your own divinity as opposed to, you know, five, four, I don't know timelines, but years and centuries ago, it really was like, how can we persecute women? How can we punish women for every single thing? Let's come up with some ideas. And so I think when we talk about witchcraft and witches, you know, and absolutely some of them were our ancestors and their DNA is still with us and flows through us. And there were people that legitimately have magic. We also have to look at people 
that were just accused of witchcraft because they were different or because they pissed off the wrong person or because they rejected the wrong person or because they weren't falling in line and say following the religion everyone else was because they were more tapped into nature and they felt that spirit. It's, it was something that was used in an accusatory manner versus being used in a descriptive manner. Right now, if I, when I say I'm a witch, I mean, I am a magical being and I do spells and I work with candles and I work with energies outside of myself and I channel those energies and I work with nature and all of these things we've been talking about in these kind of like, how do you define being a witch, right? And do you have the marks on your palm? Um, what kind of witch are you? All these things we've talked about. But if someone were to call me a witch at some point in time, they may have honestly just meant, oh, she's a loose woman. Well, yeah, I am. Because sex is rad and like, get away from me and your judginess, you know? Or, oh, she was born with a birthmark. So she's a witch. You know, like the rumor about Anne Boleyn was that she had a mole on her neck and she had um, a six finger that she would hide in her, she would wear a choker to hide the mole and she would wear a, a, her sleeve like clipped, like had a, a little ring piece to it, you know, like a, what are those things called? Those leggings stirrup, <laughs> it's not a stirrup, but it, so it would cloak her six finger. Now, was this actually true? Who knows? It was possibly written by her contemporaries to be like, oh, she was a witch and she seduced and charmed and glamoured King Henry VIII and that's why he married her and these enchantments and that's why she had to be beheaded and all this stuff but you know they would look at marks like that and they wrote that she had these marks to be like look at the witch and so a witch could simply be a seductive woman it could someone beautiful someone who wasn't even seductive but men were being seduced because apparently you can't even wear your hair down or a short, a short skirt because men just can't handle themselves that's what we're taught right I was just having a conversation with someone about this that's so why I'm like a little worked up about it but, you know, we're looking at the word witch. And for us, it means something so different. It's not accusatory. I'm a witch. I'm magical. I'm a magical being and I do beautiful things and I, I heal people. And that's, I try to do good. Not, she's a witch because she uh, consorts with evil and she, well, you know, gave someone, she put a curse on someone and they died. And a whole family got the bubonic plague or whatever. And honestly, I'm talking about in these like, very distinct terms of being like a millennial witch versus a middle ages witch but we can go way down in the timeline and that word was being thrown around to hurt people it was being thrown around to to make people different and to exclude them from society from society <laughs> exclude them from society and to make them feel bad and it's it's just this you know, I think that's why it's so rad that all of us are able to come together and be like, hell yeah, I'm a witch. I'm a powerful one. Bad one, though I may be. And I embrace my magic and I embrace all of this. No matter where you believe your power comes from, your power can absolutely just come from within. It can come from the universe, from the star. It's what's personal to you, you know? It doesn't all have to be the same. That doesn't make any of us more or less witches than anybody else. But I think it's so amazing that we've taken this word and we've embraced it and we've taken the power back, baby. It's not like, you don't get to tell me I'm a witch because you mean it in a negative way. Like I was listening to something the other day and uh, the person was saying he didn't want to say the word bitch. So he called someone a witch. And I was like, are people still doing this? First of all, if you call me a bitch, it's a compliment. And I'm going to be like, thank you so much. <laughs> I love that word. But why are we still equating these beautiful 
people that carry this amazing magic and do good with that magic, right? That's what we're hoping for. And that's what we strive to do, most of us. Why would you equate that with trying to call someone a female dog or just trying to be derogatory? You know, that word still stings and it's still, there's still people that very much are using it in an accusatory sense, like, oh, what a witch. Well, I think being a witch is dope. <laughs> so I'm glad that there is so many young women and young men and young non-binary people or, you know, however you identify that are taking that word witch and being like, hell yeah, I'm a witch and I'm powerful and I'm beautiful and I'm mystical and I'm magical. And maybe my power comes from God and maybe it has something to do with my relationship there or maybe it doesn't. But the point is, it's me and it's who I am. And it's not, it's not something I was told to believe in. I was forced to believe in by my parents. It's something that I was dragged to every week and didn't really have a connection with. It is something that I wholly, truly, and 100% hopefully identify with. The thing I really like to say is whether I ever cast another spell or not, I'm a witch. I'm, I'm a witch. I, <laughs> there's just, you know, I, I almost want all of us to just take a minute and be like, I am a witch and just affirm it for ourselves because it's who we are. It is not something that's going to change. It's, it's something that we can make the conscious decision to not participate in anymore. We can say, you know, I just, I'm just going to take this bad witch thing full force and just not do any more spells. I'm so tired and I'm stressed about everything else. It's something that we have all put on hold at some point, but whether, whether you ever cast another spell or not, you light another candle, you say, you set one more intention in your life, you are a witch. And here's the thing. We can try to turn it off. <laughs> we, we can try to be like, you know, I'm done with the witch stuff. I just need to focus on like my my other life right now, my, my real world life as I like to call it. But guess what? We're always manifesting. We're always setting intentions with everything we say, think, spell, write, wish upon a star. Like it's just always happening. It's like you can take the girl out of the witch, but you can't take the witch out of the girl <laughs> or person. You know, does that, that's kind of, does that make sense? And to touch on the Wicca of it all, um, you, I mean, in my eyes, you don't have to be a confirmed Wiccan to practice witchcraft. Again, it's that conversation of there is religion and there is an identity. And for me and, you know, for a lot of us, our identity is that we are a witch. And so I don't have to go through the process of being following this religion to be able to say I'm a witch. I already am, you know, and the, the religion and those belief systems can come with it. And this podcast definitely borrows from Wicca. It borrows from Voodoo. It borrows from, it, am I saying borrows? It borrows from a lot of different influences and also just lessons I've learned from other people. And that comes with their own cultures, cultures as well. And what I feel inside. So no, you don't have, again, according to me, you don't have to be a Wiccan to be a witch. It is a subsect. Subsect? Is that the right word? I think so. Um, or denomination, I guess, would be the right word. It's it's definitely its own entity, and it's a part of this whole big witchcraft world, and it's a part of this whole religious world where we have all of these various religions out. It would I, I could talk for, I don't know, a million hours, and we still wouldn't cover everything. We even put a dent in most of this stuff. I mean, Catholic chat and Wicca chat and feminism chat is enough for just this episode but um yeah it is I always like to emphasize that it is a religion and it has its own specific set of beliefs and its own practices and its own um I'm thinking of the topic we're going to get into and I want to say altars which isn't which is sort of true 
but it has its own, oh my gosh, you're, you're screaming it. I know you know the word I want to say. Not practices. Rituals. It has its own rituals. There we go. <laughs> it's like 1.30 in the morning. I, I just had to get out and put this all out there while I was kind of in the right frame of mind. But yeah, Wicca is a religion. Check. You do not have to be Wiccan to be a witch, according to me, sort of. Check. You, and then being a witch is its own thing. Check. But they can definitely meet and you can absolutely practice Wicca. Like there's no problem with that. You know, that's what it's there for. And this podcast is, I put it under the term of eclectic. I'm an eclectic witch. So I borrow from a lot of places, like I just said. And so, yeah, there's definitely foundations in Wicca and there's things that I like to pull from there because if you are kind of starting on your witch journey, I know I get a lot of like book, people asking for book recommendations and things like that. It's a good place to start because it, you know, all this stuff feeds into each other. Again, it all borrows from each other. It's like we went, when we did a, when we did the pagan, uh, the wheel, we did those, uh, festivals. I mean, we talked about how Ostara and Easter, hello, we combined them because, you know, we're trying to, well, not we, but <laughs> the powers that be at the time were trying to bring Christianity in, but they had to align it with these pagan beliefs because that's what people believed in practice. The same thing with Yule and Christmas, you know, uh, this thing with Samhain and All Saints Day and Halloween, it all had to kind of merge together. And so that's why, again, when I go back to my friend's question of like, where is God in all this? I'm like, it's, it's not even where is God in all this? It's like, where's everything? It's all a big cauldron. <laughs> in my mind, it's all a big cauldron. And all these different parts are in there and they're bubbling and cooking and making this its own creation, sort of, and energy and light and goodness. And I don't know. <laughs> it's just, it's just all of these things are, I guess, kind of ingredients. Look at me being a kitchen witch. It's all ingredients that come together to make this whole, but it doesn't mean that anything is right necessarily or anything is wrong. It's about how we feel. And that's what I always try to come back to is like, we know we're witches because what we're attracted to and how we feel and the things that we're really energized by and the things that we seek out in life. And we know it is natural to us and it may in no way feel natural to you to ascribe to any religion. And that's still fine because that's what's natural to you. For me, it's natural to still have a lot of uh, Catholic, um, not emphasis, not indulgences. I mean, we're not going to talk about the Catholic church and indulgences because we simply do not have the time. Um, I can't think of the right word because it's 1.45 in the morning now, but influences for me, that's what feels natural to me, you know, good or bad. If it's because it's something I just grew up with, that's, that's where I am at 32 years old at this point in my life. You could come back to me when I'm 42 and I'll be like, girl, what were you talking about? <laughs> But, you know, it's all in that cauldron for me and it's all bubbling and it's all being its own creation. I'm just being nourished by it and whatever comes out of it, I'm still a witch at the end of the day. And so are all of you. So don't stress out too much about the religion stuff. I think 46, 47 minutes later, <laughs> we've had a really good talk about kind of dealing with the guilt of it all that can come from being in a, having a religious background, being still involved with religion to an extent. Um, or just having it around you in society, which we all definitely do. We have talked about just the feminism of it all and the word witch and a little bit of that background. I definitely want to do a full like witchery history. I just think it would be so much fun. I just need a week where I can sit and put on my historian hat and really get up and like 
the juices of that. Does that sound gross? Every time I use the word juices, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> and we've talked about the Wicca of it all and that you can absolutely be Wiccan and be a witch, but by no means do you have to be. So I think it's time to actually get into our topic for the week. <laughs> to be fair, um, number one, it's very aligned because we all know these things always sync up no matter what I do. I think I have a brilliant idea and I'm ahead of the game. And the universe is like, oh, you thought that was so cute of you, but actually things all line up and you never actually are making these decisions yourself. You're just falling in line with what we have planned for you. So here I am. <laughs> Regardless, what could go better with a whole discussion about religion than talking about altars? So that is what we're about to get really into. I am going to give disclaimer number 10,000, <laughs> jump from the 800s to 10,000s, I think and say that I cannot pronounce the word alter. I keep saying alter. <laughs> I know this, that sounds exactly the same, but it makes me think of um, Saoirse Ronan, who I love, the actress, and she will always go on like chat shows. Chat sh where, where am I from? I watch a lot of British TV. Please excuse me. Uh, she goes on a lot of like talk shows and does interviews, and every single interview, because her name is, uh, is her name Celtic? Gaelic? I'm not... Sure. But uh, people always ask her how to pronounce her name. And they, it's literally she gets asked all the time. It would drive me crazy if that was me. And in interviews, she'll always say, oh, Americans, it's really easy for them to say Sersha. But if you're Irish, people will say Sersha. And I was like, what? It's the exact same thing. In fact, she did an interview with Margot Robbie for that Mary Queen of Scots movie they did together. And she, she did the Sersha, Sersha. And Margot was like, what? <laughs> That's how I feel about the word altar. A-L-T-A-R is our altar that we're talking about today. I feel like I'm saying A-L-T-E-R, altar, as in to like change something. So if you can hear the variation and you can hear me saying it incorrectly, hi, welcome to Bad Witch. That's all I ever do is mispronounce things. <laughs> Stick with me regardless. Okay, so let's start with differentiating between an altar and a shrine. So an altar is a functional place. It is where your work will take place, where you will be witching and crafting. <laughs> so you will be doing your spells there. You'll be meditating there. You'll be setting intentions there. You'll be doing rituals there. All of the things that when you think of like, I am doing my witch's work, this is part of my craft, that is taking place on that altar. Well, I mean, not always. Like sometimes you're going to go out and cast a circle. Sometimes you'll cast a circle around your altar. You know, sometimes you'll just say the spell out loud real quick because you need it right now. <laughs> That's part of like the whole bad witch thing is that am I always going to work on my altar? Absolutely not. Because sometimes I have to say a spell in the car. When I'm flying, I obviously can't put down my tray table and lay out. I mean, could I? Couldn't I? <laughs> but I certainly can't like light candles or anything. <laughs> so it's not something that is always, it's not something that is necessary to be a, quote unquote, good witch, a practicing witch. You know, if you haven't had an altar yet, you're not sure how to build one. That's totally fine. Again, that magic is from within. You are a witch regardless of what you do. If you practice, if you don't, if you have a shrine or not a shrine, if you have a altar, if you don't, you can still manifest that magic that you have. So it's, when I say it's a functional workspace, it doesn't mean every single thing has to take place there. It just means it's another part of that witching world that we're all in. And I'm going to tell you now, there's no 
wrong or right way to set up your altar. So, you know, don't feel like you necessarily have to have your pen and paper. I'll be like, let me write down every single step. It's going to be very subjective and it's going to be very personalized to you. So just because I'm going to tell you what I have on mine doesn't mean I have to get this, this, and this. No way, Jose. Okay. So sorry. I have been using a lot of catchphrases from Full House today in my real life. I don't know what's going on with me. Uh, I said how rude to someone not that long ago. I'm clearly still in a bit of a nostalgic moment while Mercury Retrograde is winding down. Anyway, so shrines. <laughs> the best, not best, but the most um, prevalent example of a shrine that is always in the back of my head is here comes another 90s TV show reference. If you ever watched Hey Arnold, the thing that Helga had in her closet that was Arnold made out of chewing gum, that was a shrine with uh, the candles. And I think she had like a few of his possessions. Maybe that's, that's a little intense for a kid's show. But yeah, in the closet, that was a shrine that was hidden away where she would kind of go talk to Arnold and say that it made her girl heard girlhood quiver, which was also kind of a lot for a kid's cartoon, but whatever. But yeah, when I think of shrine, that's kind of the first thing that pops into my head, even though, you know, being from South Louisiana and growing up in New Orleans and around New Orleans, I would see shrines in many, many places. And, you know, it's really more about it being a devotional space and a place for offerings and for worship to an extent to a certain God, goddess, entity, spirit, whatever you feel aligned with, whatever kind of entity that you're seeking a favor, not a favor, but favors from or protection from. You'll see them a lot in people's homes and businesses. And it really is more about, about a, a space that's respectful and devotional as opposed to a functional space where you work. So that's the difference between a shrine and a workspace. Now they may be decorated sort of similarly. A shrine will typically have candles that are lit. It will have offerings. So um, ones I would always see, especially in New Orleans, would be, and I can't remember exactly who the shrine was for, but I would see cigars, I would see chicory, um, coffee, honey, uh, table salt, you know, all these different things that are pleasing and, and I don't want to say desired, but are, that just please the God that you're working with and, or the God that you're, you know, setting this space for this goddess or whomever. You will also usually have um, certain incense burning that are pleasing to that that spirit. Um, you will sometimes have coins. You'll have, if you're working with a god or a goddess specifically, you might have like one of their cards, like a prayer card or a tarot card or a oracle card or just anything that is devotional to them and represents them on your shrine or their shrine. I guess it's technically theirs <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it. But yeah, it's, that's just the difference between the two. So for one, it's like, Hey, this is where I'm going to do my work. But the other, it's going to be like, Hey, this is where I have given honor and devotion to this specific entity. So if you forget, just remember, Hey Arnold, and that is what a shrine is. <laughs> I mean, I don't think the right thing to do would be to make up a mock-up of that God or goddess, uh, in, Bubblegum, I would maybe just get a statue instead or a banner, perhaps <laughs> some other kinds of um, token of representation. Let's let's all agree to skip the bubblegum. OK, so let me tell you what is on my altar. I have never gone out and specifically bought a table, a desk, a wood slice, anything like that. I just make it in my home. A lot of people do that. Some people will go out and they'll buy like the altar kit and they will 
you know, build it themselves and burn their specific symbols into it and like etch it into the side. So it is holy and fully like when you think of an old school witch's altar, they are good witches. They're the ones that are doing it through and through. I have used cabinets. I have used a bar in my old apartment. I have used nightstands. It's not that it has to be this perfect space, right? That's, we're never going to have these perfect ways to do witchcraft. It's just, it's just really, really hard. And we have lives and we happen to be witches. So we have to put those two things together. But what is important is that it is a place that can feel like your true home within your home. If you have an inside altar and can feel like a home in the outside world, if you choose to have one outside, some people have both. I am not an outside person. <laughs> as we know. So, and I don't have really a like lush garden space, which is what I would really want or like a a lush area with lots of flowers and herbs where I can kind of take in that natural energy and the power of those certain herbs and flowers and smell and all that stuff and have like a flat stone surface or like a tree stump I could use and work with. I don't have that in an ideal world. If I did have that, I would be more inclined to have one outside, but I don't. <laughs> so mine is inside, but it should have, it should be like the safest space in your house or your apartment or your condo or your, I, tiny home. I don't know. <laughs> in Wherever you are, it should be, it should have a feeling of like, if I can go nowhere else in the world, this is where I can go. This is where I'm the safest. This is where I am whole. This is where I can take a deep breath. You know. <laughs> so, um, I have like in my last apartment was a studio and I had my altar set up on my bar that was in my studio. I guess I would technically call it an island. I don't, I don't know. It was really small, but it was the only space that I had that could like lay out flat and fit something. I guess I could have used my bookshelf looking back, but I burned a lot of candles. So I don't want to set anything on fire, but on uh, my altar and it was something I didn't really mean to make. I, it wasn't, I wasn't like, Oh, I need to have an altar. Like this is step 15 in the REU a witch process. It just started to come together on its own. So the first thing that I put was candles Candles are always the center of my altar. Always, always, always. Because I am a pyromaniac, as we all know, and I love setting fire to things. <laughs> but really, like, candles are my medium of magic. They always have been. That is where I'm my most powerful. That's where I get my most concise work done. And I will never, I don't think I will, well, I don't want to never say, I don't, is it never say never? Never say never, but... I don't think I will ever find another instrument that is as powerful for me as candles are. So the center of my altar is always a candle. So on my good old fashioned bar, I had a candle and I started to just accumulate crystals over time. The candles that I would burn a lot of the time were from House of Intuition, which I've talked about before, and they come with candles in them. So once I was done with the candle, the crystals are still set with the intention from the spell and still carry the magic. So I would just start to line them in like a horseshoe around the next candle that I would bring in. So it was a slow going process. It wasn't like I went zero to altar in one day. No, I built it over months. So, and a lot of it too was not stuff that I was necessarily picking out, but it was things that were given to me. So one time I went to my local witch store and, um, I, what was I buying? I was, I wanted to add smudge sticks to my altar. So this was when, you know, Palo Santo and sage weren't being depleted. And so I got a sage bundle. I got a few sticks of Palo Santo that I kept. Um, I mean, I used them, but then they were returned to my altar after I was done like smudging the whole space. 
And um, when I was in there, it was like, they're the nicest people ever if you ever go to Spellbound Sky in LA. And she was like, oh, I see you're working with this. Have you ever worked with lavender? And I was like, oh, no, I never have. And so she just gave me <laughs> this beautiful little black um, uh, pouch of lavender buds. And so it became a part of my altar. You know, if I would find certain bird feathers outside that really spoke to me, I would add it to my altar. If I was out at the beach in Malibu because I am a sea witch, <laughs> because I am full Ursula out here, I would bring back a little sand or I would bring back, um, you know, a seashell. Although I am always still a little like, mm, is this okay to take away because it belongs to the space so I should like honor it here and not make it necessarily part of my home? It's debatable. I'm still not 100% sure how I feel about that. I don't know if I would take anything now, especially if I went to Hawaii because I heard that really messes you up, which I think I've talked about before and you have to like mail it back. But um, if I was working, let's say on a protection or uncrossing something or trying to shush away any bad negative vibes or spirits around me, I would add salt to my altar, salt water. If I was working on something for luck or for abundance, I would add honey to kind of sweeten the whole deal. If I was working on something for love, then I would add in rose petals. Um, it really just, you can definitely swap things out all the time. And then I added in a bottle of gold flakes that I still have. This is my old altar, but I'll tell you what I have on my current one in just a second. Gold flakes because gold is like a universal purifier and also universal like abundance. So I always have that. I've never opened it. I've been told the vial that I got you can open and if you write out a spell you can like dab it on there to give it more potency. I've never opened it. I think it's more that I'm afraid I would just accidentally spill all of it. <laughs> but if you have um, ever worked with like a liquid gold or gold flakes you can add it to written intentions to make them more powerful. Hint from me to you. Not a hint, a tip. And what else did I have on that altar? Oh, and then once I started getting cards and got into the oracle readings, they became, they sit on my altar. They don't sit in like a separate space. And then um, any books that I accumulated about witchcraft, I also had as part of my altar. So I had crystals. I had uh, my smudge bundles. I have my candle, which is always my centerpiece or how, however many candles I'm burning at the time. Who knows? Um, I would have feathers. I would have uh, sand or seashells. I would add in different like food items. So it would be honey, salt. Um, what else did I say? Oh, and then I would have my, I had a crystal ball, ball very briefly, but I brought it back because I like was not ready for it. It freaked me out. <laughs> I think I've talked about this before. I, um, I pulled the cloth off of it and I looked at it really intently for the first time since I brought it home. And I was like, oh no, I just saw everything all at once. And I was like, too much, too much. We got to back away from this. <laughs> but that was about two years ago. So I think I'm ready to bring it back in. So that would definitely have like a stationary position, um, like an unmovable position on my altar where other stuff like the crystals, sometimes I would have a horseshoe. Sometimes I would make other little symbols out of them. Sometimes I would cluster them. Sometimes I would separate them out by color, just depending on what I was doing. Um, the crystal ball. And then, um, a lot of people will have a cauldron or a pestle and mortar of some sort on theirs. Since I don't really get into the potion stuff as much, I don't have one. So that was my basic setup. What I have on my altar now is pretty much the exact same thing, except now I have wands of selenite. Some witches will have actual wands. I have wands of selenite for cleansing to kind of always keep the vibration of the altar space 
balanced and chill. <laughs> so I have one wand on one side and one on the other. And I kind of think of them as just like shooting frequency between them to keep everything in balance. Now, witches will actually have tangible wands, like bibbity boppity boop kind of wands, you know, like Harry Potter kind of wands. I've never really been into the wand thing. Um, to me, I rather use my hands and touch everything and create that energy that I do when I rub my hands together and kind of that fire. Um, I just, to me, wands are unnecessary for my practice, but people absolutely keep them on their altars and people absolutely work with them. I've actually never seen a wand in the wild. I'm pretty sure. Like all the witch stores I've gone to, I don't think I've ever seen like a crafted wand. So if you have one, will you post a picture in the Facebook group or like tweet it at me or something? I would actually love to see what they look like. In my mind, they're just very Harry Potter slash like a conductor's baton. <laughs> never see one out. I've never used one. So for me, a wand is always going to be a selenite. I also have um, all of my spell books. I still have my vial of gold. I do this thing now where instead of just having my cards like in their cases, I will take out certain cards at the time and I will place like correlating crystals on those cards for whatever I'm focusing on or working on at the time. Um, so I was just doing something with Lakshmi. So I took out my uh, citrine and I placed it on her card and she was kind of the center focus of my altar at that time. So it's stuff that gets swapped out a lot. Um, oh, and I also have a moon on my altar, which is this little plastic pirate pyrex. I don't, I don't know the material. It's not plastic. It's something else, but it's a moon that if you touch the bite, the bottom, <laughs> if you touch the bottom, it lights up and it's something that is not necessarily a magical instrument, so to say, but it makes me feel magical. So I like it. You know, it doesn't have to just be like, oh, you have to have a wand and you have to have a, a, a dagger and you have to have a chalice and a cauldron, and all these things. Like I have this little whatever moon on there that on what is going on with my accent on there that really doesn't serve a magical purpose, but it makes me feel magical. So I like it. So I have it on my altar, you know? And right now my altar is on a cabinet. It is in a room that no one else really goes into. And I also have a covering that I can put over it, which you should have as well. Because here's the thing. It would be great if we could all have this space where we can walk in, shut out the rest of the world, and no one can ever see your altar, touch your altar, mess with your altar, anything like that. That's not necessarily the case. And it, it may be a place that you it may be a thing that you want to have in a really prevalent place in your home. You want to walk by it. You want to be able to touch it and talk to it and always have just the energy coming from it. But then people come over. So best case scenario is if you could actually have it in some kind of armoire or closet where you can close it in. That's where Helga had the whole shrine situation, right? Because she could close it down. But you could also, you should also have a covering that, um, you know, you might want to bless yourself or put some kind of intention into. So it's not that you're hiding your altar away from the world. It's that you're protecting it. That's the way to look at it. I am especially pro covering your altar when people are coming over. And it doesn't matter if it's your best friend. It doesn't matter if it's someone that you've just recently met or if it's someone coming in to make repairs. I just don't want any energy, any vibration, any intention on my altar that isn't my own. Now in my studio in LA, because it was so tiny. <laughs> I always had it out. I never really covered it because truly no one was ever really in my apartment like that. And I was like, I don't have anywhere else to store this. 
I just, I'm just going to let it live its truth. But now that I'm a little more mature in my witchcraft and I'm a few years away from living in that situation, I try to protect it as much as possible. It's just that anyone at all times is going to be sending out something and you don't want it to mess with your workspace. Cause you know, it's like if someone came to your job and turned your whole desk ecosystem upside down and you have it set up exactly the way you want it. And then you're like, I can't function because someone messed with my vibe over here. It's the same thing with your altar. How are your, how is your meditation supposed to go as well as it could? How is your spell supposed to be as powerful as it can be? If someone has come in and, you know, put their funky energy on it or something, especially if it's someone you don't know coming over. And I am very big on touch. Um, I've said this about my cards. I don't let people touch my cards. I don't want them to just be soaking and soaking and soaking in energy, even though you can cleanse them. Absolutely. It's, I'm just not comfortable with that. Same thing with my altar. And it's this whole witch thing. It's so interesting to people that are not involved in it. And they can't help it. They just have to put their little grubby hands on it. They see beautiful candles and gorgeous crystals. And, you know, sometimes I would also have uh, pieces of jewelry in mine, like gold jewelry or jewelry made of, um, like made of stones. Like I've talked about that crystal colon and, and uh, how light bracelet I have. So sometimes I would keep that on my altar too. And people just reach up and touch it. <laughs> so it's best if you have that protective cloth over it and, not only that you're covering it from any potential, um, any potential bad energy or waves coming that way, but you're literally stopping people from grabbing and touching without thinking. I mean, people literally love touching things without ever asking for permission or even giving it a second thought. <laughs> so of course, get your cloth and I would do a protection spell over it. I would maybe dust it with salt or with a little brick dust to keep it really not just something that's covering, but something that is impenetrable. And I know there's some people that feel kind of weird or bad or upset about having to cover their altar when other people come over because they think of it as maybe it's something that they feel like they need to hide or be ashamed of. But I don't think you ever need to frame it that way. If it's not something that you're ready to share with other people, that's your business. That's someone else's business. And if you have to hide it, you don't have to hide it away, but if you're choosing to hide it away because you just don't know how someone else will feel about it, still think about it as protection. You're protecting your sacred space, the the most home that you can feel, and you're protecting your magic. And by protect by protecting <laughs> by protecting your magic, you're protecting yourself, right? Because that is again a part of our identity. So don't feel bad about it. The cloth is important for multiple reasons. <laughs> so let it serve its purpose. It is much. It is as much a part of your altar as anything else. So yeah, that is what's on my altar right now. I'm looking over at it because I'm literally sitting right next to it. I'm trying to see if there's... Oh, I have cinnamon sticks and I have... Um, I still have my pouch of lavender. I also have some loose sprigs of lavender. Does it come in sprigs? I guess so. Yeah. So I have lavender and I have cinnamon. So those are only herbs I have on my altar right now. And it's kind of just set up for summer. Um, with your altar, I think it's the same as decorating your house because it is another home for you. It's your spiritual home. So I swap it up. When it's time for Samhain, it's going to look crazy because I'm going to add 10,000 things to it. And I do like to do um, the the colors. I like to have orange and black for Samhain. I like to have red and green for Christmas. I like to have greens and yellows and pinks for spring and summer, like you know, colors are really important in witchcraft and we've gone over that in the candle episode and maybe that's something we'll kind of revisit later on because colors correlate in a lot of different ways and have a lot of different symbolisms outside of just the candle thing. But 
it's okay to switch it up. Like the thing with the altar is it's so personalized and it's not something that you have to construct overnight that you're always going to be swapping stuff out. You're always going to be adjusting it to different festivals, adjusting it to what your spell needs are, adjusting it to what your meditations are. It's something really fun actually to play with. Like I know, especially again, if you grew up in the church, <laughs> that the concept of an altar can be kind of scary and taboo to you, like something you shouldn't touch. And it it's so sacred and only the priest or the preacher or whomever can touch it. Um, but that's not what your home altar for witchcraft is about. It is such a reflection of you that you get to tangibly put together. It is about you. And that's why the shrine is a different thing because the shrine is dedicated to an entity, but that altar is about you, babe, you know, and it's about your practice and it's about what's important to your witchcraft. So you can build it as slowly as you want. You can put it up in one day. You can add something, you can take it away. You can only have crystals on it. If you want, you can only have candles. You can only have, it is totally up to you. You cannot do it wrong. The only way you can do it wrong is if you like accidentally burned it down or something, which again, candle safety, let's never forget. <laughs> Even if you, like my candle is always the center of my altar, right? So I will place it in a, a bowl of water. Um, even if I am home, but I'm not in my altar space to make sure that nothing wild and crazy happens. Um, but it is, it's just about you. So I'm telling you what's on mine just to give you an idea. So again, you, We'll have herbs if you want. You will have food offerings, not offerings, but you can have different, uh, not food offerings, but like ingredients if you want, different crystals. You can have jewelry if you want. You can have the cauldron and the the mortar, pestle and mortar, mortar and pestle, never sure which one it is, um, a dagger, a pentacle, a chalice. Oh, I also have Agua de Florida on my altar to spray down various things when they need to be cleansed out. Um, but if you want to have a selenite wand, you want to have an actual wand again, please, if you have a wand, I really, really want to see it. You can have different symbols. Like I have my moon on my altar right now. I know a lot of people that will have uh, gold or silver or pewter or copper moons or goddess symbols or a symbol that's associated with certain, uh, gods or goddesses that they're really inclined to work with people that will have flowers on their altar, have wreaths. The sky is the limit, baby. There is whatever you want, whatever feels good to you. You can always make adjustments. It's not this thing that is set in stone. It is sacred, but it's not intimidating. It shouldn't be intimidating because like I said, it's the place that you should feel the most at home in the world. And so why would you want something that's intimidating to be that? If you're intimidated and you feel an anxiety about it, am I doing this right? Is it coming together correctly? Then you're never gonna be able to relax and get that good old magic out or sit there, sit there and get that meditation going that you really need. Like there has to be a flow of energy and that energy has to represent you. And so that space ha has to represent you and you should be totally comfortable and happy there. You really can't mess it up. You really can't, can you? If you have messed it up, then send me an email because I really can't think of any ways you can. Um, one thing that I have never done myself, but I have been told is a good place to set up an altar is in front of a window because you have the access to the natural light, the sun's energy, the sun's rays, um, and like natural wind and breeze that will come in. But also if you have candles burning and they're burning, you know, really fervently, fervently, can a, can a candle burn fervently? <laughs> burning uh there's a very strong fire and smoke coming with it it allows it to waft out naturally same thing with when you're smudging so 
you don't always, according to me, have to smudge your altar before you're doing whatever your work you're going to do because you're going to have so many crystals and like selenite and candles and everything burning on that space that hopefully it is always and continuously a space that is set at the right frequency and is cleared out. But of course, every so often it's good to check in and do that. It's good to do the room around it because things always collect in corners, as we know. So that smoke can also easily waft out of that window when you're doing your practice. And so I really, really liked that concept. I don't, I don't have it available to me right now where I have, you know, like a, a, I don't know, what's that called? When a window doesn't go all the way to a to the ground, a short window. I don't know what it's called, <laughs> but I don't have one that I could set kind of my altar up against the cell of it and open it up and not expose everything about it. Cause I don't want that really strong wind to come in and just knock my whole altar apart. But I, I do like that concept of having the sunlight be able to hit you, having the breeze be able to hit you. If it's raining, be able to collect rainwater right there to add to your altar or putting out water for the moon right there. Like that sounds really magical and amazing. So I, that's something that I will be keeping a lookout when I move to my new place. In fact, I might specifically be like, I need easy moon access, easy sun access, a gentle breeze at all times, and the ability to collect water without doing any internal damage to the apartment. I don't know, but I really love that. You know, especially if you don't have the, the space, the access to have a green space outdoor altar. Um, you know, say your closest outdoor space is a park or a communal garden, and that's not something you want to set up where people, again, can have easy access to it it's a good way to still connect with the elements and to connect with the natural world and have its influences energize your altar as well. So yeah, I really love that concept. It's not, it never crossed my mind for some reason, but I love that so much so that I will be seeking out to do that next. Um, also when placing your altar, speaking of, there are questions of, should I face it to the North? Should I do face it to the South, the East, the West? It's up to you. Again, depending on what you want to focus on, you can always shift it around. You can keep it in the center because we know that center is where spirit resides. And please don't make me talk about the spider web again because I know it was confusing, <laughs> but we know that's where all of those energies kind of interact and connect and then spew back out to, right? So for me, safest bet is to have it centered, but it's up to you. And it depends on what you feel the most aligned with. If I didn't have it centered, then I would do... I would have it facing west because I'm a triple water sign. So um, obviously I need to be all involved with water at all times. It's just how I function. But yeah, it's your placement is important, but it's not the most important thing. Like I think in witchcraft, we get really bogged down in the minutia of things as opposed to the overall intention of what we're doing. So we'll be so worried about, oh, am I facing the right direction? that we're not worried enough about, well, am I putting in the intention for this spell to work? And has how did this spell work? And did it achieve everything I wanted it to do? We get so worried about it being so perfect that we're not putting all the energy that we can into the actual work of it and not just the setup of it. You know what I mean? You can also have multiple altars in your home. You can have your big altar where you do the majority of your work. And then you can have baby altars that are placed in different places. And you know, one can be a quieter one, just kind of like off into a corner, or off into a nook where you like to meditate. You don't have to do all that. I kind of think of it as like a beauty vanity. <laughs> Stay with me. I know I'm a hundred and I make these references or old lady references, but you know, those old school vanities where you have the three mirrors and then you would have your perfume bottles with your uh, pump sprinter thing. Oh my God. I'm allergic to perfume. I don't know if I've ever mentioned that. I'm so allergic to perfume. By the way, like sweet oils and perfumes are also things that you can put on a shrine or an altar. 
Um, but I'm extremely allergic to it. But I also collect those old-fashioned glass bottles with the pump. I think they're the coolest thing ever. I don't know what to put into them. Maybe rose water or moon water I can spray on. I don't know. Send me some suggestions. But I am obsessed with those things. And I have a bunch of them just, like, littered all over. But, yeah, I think of old beauty vanity, especially, like, my mom's my grandma's, where you have the powders and the max factor compacts and the eyeshadows and the lipsticks and the the perfume and all that stuff I never realized that that's what the connection was for me but I really do think of beauty vanities and altars being the same thing I guess because watching them growing up and like as witchy women in my lives they would sit at that vanity and they would become like this beautiful whole confident peaceful version of themselves and they got to have that space just to themselves where anywhere else in the house like the kids are touching everything and running around or the husband's there messing up everything but the vanity and the altar is like your sacred space where you become the best version of yourself to an extent I mean not that you have to wear makeup to be the best version of yourself I certainly rarely wear it that's me being lazy though but it's a place where you're doing self-care where it can be like a meditative state when you're applying your powders and your lipsticks and all of that so yeah that's what I connected with so you can have this big vanity space you can have this big altar but then say you might want to have one in a nook that is just a silver pewter plate that has your favorite incense and has candles that you love and a gong or a bell. A bell is something that a lot of people or a gong will choose to have on their main altar because you can use it to signify the opening and a closing of a ritual or a spell. But if you have one in this little, you know, just cornered off space and you want to have your tray, those are three things that you can use just in meditation. Or if you want to add on one essential oil that you really like working with. I always like to use lemongrass for some reason when I meditate to put on my third eye. No idea why. It just smells really good to me. But that can be another altar space right there where you don't have to have the whole shebang all the time. I know a lot of people that have altars in their house um, for their animals to keep them safe and protected and vital and happy little creatures. Especially for their familiar... If you. We have to talk about the familiar thing. It's, I'm gearing up to do that episode because it's a lot more in depth than people realize. Like a lot of people will be like, oh, my pet is my familiar. That's not necessarily true. A familiar is its own magical being that is agreeing to help you in your magical work. It's a whole thing. We're going to get into it. But people have altars to protect their pets, but they will also have altars specifically for familiars because familiars, again, are their own magical entities in themselves. We will be talking about that as soon as I can get my mind all the way around it. <laughs> this might be the week I actually, um, in between this week and next, watch Sabrina, the chilling adventures of Sabrina. I'm not going to rewatch Sabrina the Teenage Witch, although I kind of want to, but I might watch that one because I know someone told me that they talk about familiars in there a lot. So it might be a good jumping off point for me to wrap my head around all the things I would have to say about that. We shall see. But yeah, you can have multiple altars. You can have altars of varying sizes. You just, I just want to reiterate, you can't do it wrong. As long as you're doing it, as long as you're committing to that space and you're making sure that it's a space that is special to you and you're putting your personal touches on it, personal touches on it, and you're making it about you and your practice, then you're on the right track. Hell, I know people that have altars in their car, like in their glove compartment or in their trunk space, just like anywhere that you... Maybe your car is the only place where you can have some peace and quiet for 10 freaking minutes. So that's why you have set it up there. So yeah, the altar thing is so beautiful because it really is about you. And I can give you a basis of what I have on mine, which I did. And I can give you an idea of what other people include and what is, you know, quote unquote, the, the witchy things you should have and the tools for magic you should have. But you're going to fill it out and you're going to do it on your own. It's 
my biggest piece of advice when doing the altar and building it for yourself, and I don't mean you have to, again, go out and like build a special table for it. You can literally use anything that is freestanding in your home already, whatever you have access to. But the biggest thing in building your altar is to be patient with it. You don't have to build it all in one day. Rome wasn't built in a day. Why does your altar have to be? You will find what is most comfortable to you and you will find what is most intrinsic to you and what makes sense for you and what doesn't. I have talked a million times about how Amethyst does not like me. I love Amethyst. Amethyst does not like me back. (laughs) Amethyst continues to ghost me. Every time I get a new piece of Amethyst, it disappears. I don't know where she went. I don't know if the earth swallowed her up like the house in Passions. I don't know if my dog ate her or buried it. She does that. She has an attitude problem, (laughs) but Amethyst just does not work with me. So there are numerous times I have put Amethyst on my altar and it feels just off kilter for me. So I just had to accept personally that that's, that one's not for me, but something that is so for me is Moonstone. And so it has been at times littered all over my altar. I personally like to have touches of gold in mind. I know that which, I know that silver is more of the witch's metal considered to be. And you know, we just talked about copper, which again is so amazing. And that would be something really great if you had copper on your altar because it does encourage so much connectivity and so much cohesiveness, but it's not for everyone. For me, I like gold. Gold is conductive as well and it's a malleable metal. So it can take a lot of forms. And that's something that I appreciate as being an eclectic witch. So have I talked you to death? <laughs> Are you still here with me? We're pushing up on an hour 30 which is our favorite thing to do. I'm, I'm really trying to think if there's any other suggestions for altars I'm leaving out. I just don't want to say you have, I don't want to say all these, these things and then you feel like you have to have all these things, but also you're very smart witches and you know what's going to work for you. Um, flower petals, pressed flowers, um, pictures of people or uh, goddess cards, um, ancestors, people that love to put pictures of their ancestors on their altar. Um, some people it will bring in more typified, like religious things like a, a rosary or a star of David pendant. It's again, totally up to you. I think we've said all the things, cauldrons, uh, crystal balls. If you have them, some people put coins, feathers. I said, some people put other natural elements like bowls of water. Some people put matchsticks, which represent fire. If they're not necessarily working with it. The sky is the limit. (laughs) If you can walk away from this podcast with no other lesson this week, it's that the sky is absolutely the limit. Um, So for your homework, I want you to write a 12-page paper on modern religion versus witchcraft. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) At some point, maybe when we get to the year, we're going to have to have like a final or something, but not a final because this isn't going to end in a year. Obviously, this podcast will never end. You've signed up and you've committed. So here we are. You can't leave the coven. (laughs) But no, um, for your homework, I would like you to start working on your altar if you don't already have one. Or um, I I think that the altar is a very intimate and personal thing because again, it's like your home and it's a sacred space for you. So I wouldn't I know some people love to show their altar. So your homework can be showing your altar to the group or, you know, if you or the Facebook group or Twitter, if you'd like, you can send it to me and I'll post it for you. But I don't want to make that the homework because I don't like showing mine off. I don't even want eyes on it, even through the internet, I guess, even though I share literally every other thing on the internet. Um, 
But so if you already have your altar, then your homework can sort of be show it if you'd like, or give some advice on it to someone else if you'd like. We can do an altar thread. I'll start one of those like I did for the hands and for the mystic crosses. Oh, did you do your homework? I know a lot of you did because you posted it. So good job if you did. I hope you found some crosses and lines and um, hopefully not so many pyramids because that means you have to clear stuff out a little bit. Or if you don't want to share your entire altar, which I, again, totally understand, maybe your homework should just be telling us what your favorite thing on your altar is or what the thing is like you're most drawn to or is the thing you're working with the most right now or one thing that you're really wanting to add to your altar because it's called to you in some way. Let's just keep altars on the brain. Ooh, or you know what? Here's some secondary bonus point homework. <laughs> Your homework, if you don't want, if you already have your altar, you're not kind of building one or adding to it and you don't want to share anything about it. Your homework this week is to sit with your altar and do a solid 10 minute, only 10 minutes. Not, I'm not, I was going to say 30, but I was like, don't be mean mommy this week. Do a 10 minute solid meditation there and listen to what the altar has to tell you. Instead of just us using it as a functional workplace, let's listen to the messages that it has. Maybe it will speak to you and say, um, we need this stone to reach balance, or we need this salt to reach balance, or um, some of these crystals have served their purpose, and so it's time to replace them. The altar will have messages for us just as we're using it to set our own intention and to bring forth our own messages. So yeah, sit and have a nice meditative, contemplative 10 minutes at your altar and see what comes up for you. And it doesn't necessarily have to be messages from your altar, but it can, how many times can I say altar? <laughs> And every time I say it, I'm hearing myself say it incorrectly and like, like hurting on the inside, but soldiering on nonetheless. Um, but yeah, just sit there and meditate and see what comes through about anything. Just open yourself up to it. Oh, I forgot. Also, along with spell books, obviously, you will have any other kind of notebooks, um, book of shadows, uh, any kinds of notation that you take. Those things can be helped. Uh, uh, I already said notebooks. What am I thinking of? Journals. I just have spiral notebooks in my head because I'm thinking that it's back to school time, even though I haven't been in school in 20 years. <laughs> I don't know why it's in my mind. But anything like that, in special pens, quills, writing implements, ink, any of that stuff will be on your altar as well. So truly, it is sky's the limit. And I know that you're all going to do, oh, or you could have, <laughs> that's why this podcast can't end. The new things keep uh, jumping in my head. Um, some people will have like mini brooms like kind of the novelty kind that represent, you know, the witches plying the hedge on the broom. Um, some people will have other little like witchy tokens, like a little witch's hat or like a little um, witch's cloak that aren't necessarily like obviously full to size, but just little kind of knickknacky things that you can add. It's, it is decorative to an extent. And that's what's kind of fun about it. It doesn't just have to be like this serious place. It's a place that reflects you and not just like the austerity of witchcraft. But anyway, I'm going to stop coming. I'm going to stop letting new ones pop into my head and saying them out loud because we have to in this podcast and we still have to do our crystal of the week, which is finally obsidian. I feel like I have talked about obsidian in like every episode so far, but I've never made the official crystal of the week because I was waiting for something kind of monumental to use it with. Obsidian is probably my favorite favorite protection stone. And that's why I have brought it up so much. And I can't tell you what to put on your altar. I can't say you absolutely have to have this checklist of things, but I feel like obsidian is an amazing stone to have because it is like 
one of the granddaddies of protection. And you want to make sure that you are protected in that space. You want to make sure that your altar, see, that's how I said it. Your altar overall is as protected as possible. So obsidian is the most gorgeous black stone. It almost looks a bit reflective, even though it's, it's pitch black. It is like so beautiful and it's almost descending into darkness. It's such a like heavy black shade, but it also has this reflectiveness to it that has a mirror feel to it, which is interesting because it does, it is reflective and it is kind of a mirror that we can hold up and look at our inner selves and look at negative traits that we may be harboring or things that need to be cleansed out or pushed away that we've been carrying and harboring over different lifetimes and through this one. And it cleanses all of that. It takes away bad habits. It takes away old relationships and cords and traumas and it just kind of washes it all away cleans it all out and makes us truly a more better and brilliant version of ourselves but it has to hold it up to us first to make us aware of what we have to get rid of which is again great work to do at your altar as well it's a stone that really wants the best for you <laughs> like, as weird as that sounds it doesn't just protect you it doesn't just protect your space but it really kind of stands up and fights for you and tries to keep negativity away. It's particular will try to keep away like addiction, fear, anxiety, anger, um, anything that you harbor and that can manifest into itself, like feeds and feeds and feeds and perpetuates. Like we always talk about how fear loves fear and negative entities love fear because it just grows and it feeds and it grows in its feet and it feeds. And obsidian is going to do its best to stand in a path so that doesn't develop or to kind of suck it out of you and tell it, get the hell out of here because I'm protecting this body. I'm protecting this magical creature and this creature spirit. It's such a beautiful stone and it's so protective. And it really, it really is almost like a mom, dad, aunt, uncle figure where it wants to watch over you and have your back and tell bad things that they are banished from the space and cannot take up residence here. So don't even try it or think about it. And so it's wonderful to have on you, obviously, as a witch, but it's great to have in that altar on that sacred space because even if we approach our altar being a certain way, if the energy of the altar is set better than what our energy is set to, it can change the energy. Like we will take on the energy of that space, of that sacred space, as opposed to approaching it with our energy and tainting it, if that makes sense. So Obsidian is gorgeous. It is amazing to have. And it really, it's got your back, you know, more than maybe a lot of other stones. It really has your back and it wants the best for you. And it's going to help you level up to your best self. So obsidian, it's also incredibly fun to say. I think that's also why I say it so much. <laughs> obsidian is our crystal of the week. And I think that's it. I think we made it. Um, I hope you're all still here. <laughs> I, I hope it's, wasn't too overwhelming of topics to take on this week, but um, I know just, again, because some of the way people were approaching me with these questions about religion and feelings of guilt and anxiety and, you know, just worried about that kind of stuff, I, I thought it was timely to talk about it, especially with wanting to talk about altars. Altars? Altars? Altars. Anyway, <laughs> I still don't know how to say it, but that's not the point because I don't have to say it anymore because we've come to the end of the episode. Um, oh, Patreon, I will do, I will go back to doing shout outs next week because I've had a bunch of people join like in the past week, which has been so amazing. I didn't want to say them for this week with and miss anyone because they don't technically get loaded onto my like list area until the next month starts. So we will be back to that next week. Do not worry. I'm so 
happy and excited that more people are joining the Patreon coven. You're awesome. You're all awesome. And I love you all so much. Uh, please reach out at the podcast at gmail.com with any emails, questions, concerns, witch kid stories, um, alter pictures. Dang, I said it again. Um, tell me about how much you love obsidian. Uh, if you haven't gone and done your hand palm street, palmistry homework yet, and you have questions about it, and you're not in the group. Um, send me your palm and I will try to help you decipher all of those symbols in there. Uh, the Bad Witch Facebook group. The answer to the question is the craft. However, if you say the covenant or flubber, I will still let you in. <laughs> I will I will let you in because you crack me up. But the answer to the question is the craft. Yeah. yeah you And, oh, well, I can't say that because I'm like, some of you are just starting for the first time. And so you won't, you know, the Facebook group didn't even come up for like 10 episodes or something. So you won't obviously hear this until you get to episode whatever, 29, 30, whatever this is. Um, but I was going to say, just write something. So I know that you listen to the podcast and you don't know the exact answer. So even though I just said the craft and you like forgot as soon as I said it, just write something. So I know that you actually listen or just, I don't know, creeping around which groups. Um, and patreon.com slash bad witch. If you want to join and we have shout outs and readings and witchy mail and other fun things I can't think of right now because I've just been talking and talking and talking as is my way. Okay. Um, happy end of Mercury retrograde. I know it was a long ass three weeks, but you survived and I'm proud of you and we're mostly all intact. Um, and you know, we're just going to try to enter the next one on Samhain with cautious optimism and hopefully it goes well for all of us <laughs> because we're witches and that's like our most, well, not our most important festival, but I mean, it's a biggie. So maybe it'll be, it'll be such an extra special time for us, which is those three and a half weeks. And you know, I have, we have a bit of a shadow period to go through, but I'm wishing you all well, because I love you so much. You're all my honey bunches of oats and you're just the best part of my week and my life and my day. And please don't ever feel shy about sending emails or posting in the group or following me on Twitter. I will follow you back. Hey, if you follow me on Twitter or Instagram, just shoot me a message. So I know that you're from the podcast because I don't want to be a jerk and not follow you back. So just let me know. But yeah, um, don't ever feel shy about reaching out and I hope you enjoyed this episode and I love you all so much and I will talk to you next week. And if I do end up watching Sabrina, um, get ready for some Sabrina chat. I can't help myself. Okay. I love you. Blessed be. And until next week, goodbye. This podcast is supported by Oasis, a paychecks company. Oasis helps small and medium-sized businesses to simplify back office complexities like payroll, benefits, HR, and compliance. With Oasis, you can continue to run your business fearlessly. Learn more at oasisadvantage.com slash podcast.